Hello fellow Zimbabweans, this is Heat Streak, former cricketer, captain and coach of the Zimbabwe cricket team. Um, I'm talking to you on the Dean at Stumps podcast this week. Um, and yeah, Dean and I are good friends. Uh, we have been for a long time, obviously an avid cricket supporter, someone who's always been there. Uh, we admire what he's done for the game of cricket. Um, and uh, yeah, and Dean has thrown me a few questions he's asked me to answer. Um, so here they go. Uh, this first one is, uh, what's my favorite sporting moment and not necessarily a cricket-related one? Well, I'll wrap that up in two. Um, I was fortunate enough to watch Liverpool play in the FA Cup final against West Ham many years ago. It was a ripper of a game and, and Gerrard scored the winning goal. I think uh, Liverpool ended up winning that 4-3, so that was a special moment being a, Zim, uh, a Zimbabwean and, and Bruce Grubler, the, the famous... Zimbabwean goalkeeper who played for Liverpool for many years was was someone I supported from a young age and hence why I support them um, and my next uh, favorite moment is going to be when Liverpool uh, win this uh, uh, Premier League uh, it's inevitable when they resume uh, that they will do it and uh, then hopefully all those Man United and Man City people who've been ripping us off uh, can finally keep uh, can finally keep quiet. The second question is, how did I get involved with the Solidarity Trust Zimbabwe, which is doing a lot of uh, work uh, for COVID-19? Um, yeah, I uh, felt that with all the time that we've got at the moment uh, being uh, under lockdown, that I could do something positive. Um, got involved. There's a few people that I know. Um, so I'm actually on two trusts, uh, that and another one uh, helping here in Bulawayo. So, um, yeah, that's something that we've been we've been working really hard to to try and fundraise uh, using uh, the business world and the private world to to try and finance getting some of our hospitals up and ready and and ready to to treat uh, and test uh, people with uh, with COVID-19 so hopefully what we do um, as uh, as Zimbabweans um, can really uh, make a difference um, his second uh, going on to the third question do you believe Zimbabweans are able to deal uh, with the pandemic without the help of the outside world. Um, yeah, look, obviously we do need the help of the outside world, but we've got to recognize that uh, they themselves are in the same boat as us. Uh, some countries probably more so at this stage. Um, so we do have to rally and, and show our national pride and, and get behind each other. Um, I think uh, Zimbabweans are very good at that. Um, I think we have, um, you know, we do have a, a very good uh, community a spirit and hopefully that will uh, really take us uh, through these uh, really tough times and we need that um, so um, we just got to keep uh, remembering um, you know all the important things you know make sure you know that we wear our face masks make sure we wash our hands make sure we keep that social distancing you know and and avoid um, you know avoid those those contacts that unnecessarily contacts you know luckily Zimbabweans are a very young country um, but we do have a lot of people who are very vulnerable to this disease and we owe it to ourselves and to them to make sure that, um, you know, we don't risk people unnecessarily. His fourth question, um, he said Zimbabweans are prone to rumors and fake news which can cause panic and fear. What uh, would my advice be? Well, firstly, a lot of us are on social media and uh, often we forward things without thinking. Uh, I think it's important that, um, you know, we ensure that when we do get forwarded stuff, uh, that we go through it and see there's a lot of good stuff, but there's a lot of not so good stuff. 
uh, let's make sure we, um, you know, we help and, and we call people out. If people are spreading fake news, uh, make sure they don't uh, continue to uh, forward it on um, and, and pass it on. And, and obviously to uh, understand that in Zimbabwe there is uh, ramifications, legal ramifications that can happen if, uh, if you get caught uh, passing on fake news. So, you know, I think for the good of people and the mentality and, and in the spirit of Zim, let's make sure we are responsible with that. And the last one was um, to raise flagging spirits. What is your happiest memory playing for Zimbabwe? Uh, very definitely when we beat South Africa uh, in the 1999 World Cup to go through to the last six in the World Cup. Uh, very special uh, memories there and uh, those will last forever. Anyway, thank you. Um, uh, this is uh, the Dean at Stumps podcast. It's Zimbabwe's only weekly podcast. Um, you can su subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, overcast or even your preferred podcast app for your weekly cricket fix even though there isn't much cricket uh, to talk about at the moment uh, but uh, dean does a fantastic job dean thank you very much for inviting me to chat um, i wish you all the best and uh, let's all stay safe and responsible and let's make sure zimbabwe uh, stays healthy Welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Well, thank you very much indeed to Heath Streak for once again bringing us up to speed as to what he and the rest of the Solidarity or Solidarity Trust Zimbabwe uh, team uh, set or aim to achieve. And you're going to be hearing from Karen Mutasa once again with uh, a new update as well. Hey, welcome to the Dinat Stumps podcast. It's great to be with you yet again. And uh, just a reminder that we have some fantastic stuff for you to listen to. The most recent upload is Whispering Death himself, Mr. Michael Holding, the former West Indian fast bowler and now very good commentator. You can also listen to interviews with the likes of Tawanda Muyeye, Sean Pollock and Michael Vaughan as well. Well, how many times haven't you heard when uh, you look back at scoreboards back in the day, scorebooks back in the day, you would have heard of batsmen that got out in this manner. Caught Andy Flower, bowled Heath Streak. So I thought it would only be appropriate that Streaky would once again do what he, what he did best, open the bowling and uh, get the show underway as he brought us up to speed and uh, just had a bit of a chat with us as well, generally speaking. Now... I had a bit of a technical glitch uh, probably a, a month or so ago where the host that provides all these podcasts uh, had, uh, well, they had their technical issues. So I had to remove some of the interviews in order to make space for the new ones. Now, fortunately, that little technical glitch has been resolved and I did a bit of a... I suppose, a Q&A, a bit of a survey. And uh, I asked whether you would perhaps like to hear about Andy Flower and he's playing days. So there's no real point uploading the entire interview, is there? Because a lot of it is based around England's World Cup because the interview was initially done leading up to the World Cup. So we thought we would just focus on the playing days of Andy Flower. It would be a, on Twitter, it would be a like for no and a retweet for yes. And uh, I woke up to a whole bunch of retweets, which means that people would very much like to hear the Andy Flower 
interview played again. And like I said, it's just him talking about his playing days. So it's not when he was involved with England and it's not, um, well, purely because of the fact that a lot of it also had to do with how England should or will perform in the World Cup, which of course is now well and truly behind us. Now, you'll also notice that Mr. Andy Flower, Mr. Perfect, as many people like to call him, made a bit of a mistake in the interview. And I want you to tell me what that mistake was so he said that when he was left unbeaten on 199, he, it was a certain number 11 batsman that got out and then it didn't stay with him, but it was actually the wrong name that he mentioned. Of course, I'll tell you who it was at the end of the podcast and then you can see if you were right or not. So let's hear what Andy Flower had to say. Well, I think I, w- I was probably one of the trickiest guys to, ma- <laughs> to, to manage. Probably not early on, when I first started um, as a youngster and I used to sit in raptures listening to guys like John Tricos and Malcolm Jarvis, Dave Houghton, uh, Andy Pycroft, uh, Bundu Walla, etc. talk about the game and we had incredible fun together and made some really lasting uh, friendships from that group of older cricketers. Yeah. But then... Um, uh, you know, things evolve and money started coming into the game in Zimbabwe. Initially, when I first started playing, we didn't get paid anything to play. Um, and those guys I mentioned were all professionals in other areas of the economy. Um, and I was, myself, my brother, Alistair Campbell, Dave Houghton were all employed as coaches. And that status quo existed for about, I don't know, three, four, five years. As we, as we start to make our way in the, on the international scene. So I would say our spirit initially, uh, when we were first given test status around 92, uh, was generated through trying to do our country proud. And that was a really nice way to play. Uh, there were some skeptics around the world that didn't think that we should be playing international cricket. And our main driver at that time was to prove those people wrong. Uh, so uh, that, that was a really nice uh, drive for most of our squad and really brought us together. But I would echo what I said earlier. There were always challenges, um, and there are always challenges in running any team in, during any era. Um, and, and Andy, some of, the, some of the highlights, as we obviously wrap this innings up and this interview up, some of the highlights that you would have had as a team and as an individual playing for Zimbabwe, what would you say some of those would, would be? The highlight that really stands out for me is our first ever test win in 95 yeah. um, in Harare against Pakistan. That was so important in my mind because we had been, we'd been given test status in 92, we were fighting hard for respect, as I mentioned earlier, uh, but we really needed to get that monkey off our back, the monkey being, when will they win a test match? And there were some really outstanding performances in that test match. Um, obviously, I'm very proud of the stand that Grant and I put together. I think we were about 45 for three on the first day uh, after winning the toss. And we came together, I think we put on about 260. 269, to be exact. There we go. So um, Grant went on to get a double 100, I got 150. And we put ourselves in such a great position to put the Pakistanis under pressure. 
and then um, we we bowled beautifully and caught amazingly well uh, to end up taking the 20 wickets that we needed. You know, I have very fond memories of the feeling that we had out there in the middle when we were hunting those 20 wickets. Even guys like Alistair Campbell took brilliant one-handed catches. Um, uh, it's I've got some really special memories of the evenings test match when uh, when we celebrated what was a momentous time for us. Beating England in 96 in the one-day series 3-0 was also really memorable. Uh, we drew the test series. It was memorable for most people for what David Lloyd, the England coach at that time, said when we had drawn the test match in Bulawayo and he proclaimed that we murdered him, uh, which obviously they hadn't given that it was a draw. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it was memorable because England, as I mentioned earlier, had was a, a huge cricket nation. They'd come over to Zimbabwe expecting uh, to win. They brought all their media with them, who always really enjoyed touring Zimbabwe, and we were able to put up a real show. Firstly, in the one dayers, and then the test matches. Uh, and it was performances like that where we punched above our weight that made playing for Zimbabwe a really uh, special experience. The 540 runs that you scored when Zimbabwe toured India in 2000 propelled you from being just outside the top 10 in world cricket or in test cricket to you as an individual to the world's number one ranked test cricketer. What amazed a lot of us was the way that you went about every one of those innings. 183 not out, uh, 70, 55 and 232 not out. But a lot of times Zimbabwe were on the back foot and yet you somehow managed to play as as positively as the game and the situation allowed you to do, Andy, which made it so very special. I mean, just talk to us as much as you can remember about that particular phase of your life as a test batsman, because pretty much everything that you did came off and everything you touched turned to gold. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty uh, enjoyable tour, obviously, from a personal perspective. Uh, It was lovely spending that time out in the middle. Uh, in test match cricket. Um, I loved touring India, firstly. That was, uh, we toured India on my first away test tour. Um, I'd never played in, in, uh, in front of such large crowds or such fervent and excitable crowds. I remember initially uh, Kapil Dev really stirring them up. He was sort of just finishing as I, as I was starting. Yeah. Touring India was a really special place for a young cricketer to to get to, uh, and the the feeling of excitement and interest in the in the country is really something special. I, I think the other factor that I remember very clearly about that series was playing spin, and I was I had been very lucky to be taught how to play spin by Dave Houghton. Dave Houghton himself was an excellent player of spin. Um, and I'd watched him closely and spoken at length with him about some of his theories of playing spin, and that helped me tremendously. Also, a lot of our early series were against subcontinent sides because those were the the boards or associations that invited us to play international cricket at that time. So we learned how to play spin a little probably faster and easier than, than we did uh, learn how to play the genuine quicks on bouncy pitches. 
So that certainly helped in that regard. But great memories. And then, uh, of course, your hundreds against South Africa, uh, back-to-back hundreds in the same test match against a very, very good pace attack, I would imagine, would stand out quite nicely for you as well in, in 2001. That was an interesting test match, not least because when we were having a drink in the dressing room afterwards, after that match ended, uh, 9-11 was just happening. And we were seeing some of these pictures on our TV screen in the dressing room, um, which was uh, pretty weird. Uh, but yeah, but yes, the the innings against South Africa in that Test match uh, were really satisfying. Uh, yeah, they they did have a good attack, and it was nice to be able to spend that sort of time in the middle against them. I remember uh, a good friend of mine, Pommy Mbangwa, who was playing in the game and batting eleven. Uh, came out uh, to uh, uh, to bat with me. I think you know we were struggling in the game as a as a team, but he came out and I was getting close to two hundred, uh, and um, and he just had to survive one or two balls uh, at the end of one over, and he nicked off with me on one hundred ninety nine, <laughs> and I never let let him hear the end of that. <laughs> Andy, uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. Um, it, it really has. Do you ever see yourself at some point once again re-establishing ties with Zimbabwe cricket, you know, some years down the line? Or do you think that that's a, a chapter that, that is behind you and it's now a closed book? I wouldn't say it's a closed book at all. I visited Zimbabwe a couple of years ago with my children and it was so, it was great to be back. Um, I think Zimbabwe's got a number of really difficult challenges. I, w- I would really dislike the uh, uh, description of closing uh, a chapter or, or certainly closing that book. I want to visit Zimbabwe again and, and who knows what's going to happen in the future. Uh, so I've always, I've always really wanted to somehow, I was going to say help Zimbabwe, that sounds really condescending. I'm talking and I don't want to sound that way. I, I, I'd like to contribute to Zimbabwe cricket in some way, but I haven't quite found the way how to do that um, uh, yet. That fits that fits for me or Zimbabwe. You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. Yeah, well, that would be wonderful if we could have the great Andy Flower back in some form of capacity. I don't know, maybe the director of cricket. Uh, one certainly doesn't want to second-guess what Hamilton Masakadza is doing as director of cricket because he's hardly been given the opportunity. But in time to come, director of cricket, coach, coaching the national side, I don't really know. But um, either way, that was wonderful. So I'm not actually going to tell you what the mistake was that Andy Flower made. Uh, this will be a nice way to get some responses from you. And uh, But uh, I will tell you that it did involve the number 11 batsman. That much I will tell you. Andy Flower, who was talking about approaching that double hundred, which would have been very special against South Africa at Harare Sports Club. And um, there he made his mistake. You've been listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe via your preferred podcast app. But It's on the likes of iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Downcast, Pocketcast, and uh, I'm sure quite a few more as well. Thank you very much indeed for listening. And we'll be back pretty soon. Until then, please stay safe. Goodbye.
been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast. 